0: This podcast is sponsored by GoCD, the on-premise, open-source, continuous delivery server created by ThoughtWorks. GoCD gives you complete control of and visibility into your deployments across multiple teams. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.io slash recode for a free download.
1: Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media.
0: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. If you're a tech CEO, you may know me as that nagging voice inside your head where your conscience used to be. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. And while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Daniel Lurie. I am thrilled to have him here, the founder and CEO of Tipping Point Community, a nonprofit that fights poverty in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm a longtime admirer of Daniel's work. And over the past 12 years, Tipping Point has raised and invested more than $120 million in the community. He's also chaired the committee that brought Super Bowl 50 to San Francisco. I don't really care about that last year. Daniel, welcome to Recode Decode.
1: Thank you for I'm having me. I'm thrilled to
0: have you here. You're one of the nicer people I have to deal with every day. <laughs> Tell me, let's talk about you, what you've done. So a lot of people know you, but not everybody does. So talk a little bit about your background. You grew up in San Francisco.
1: Born and raised right. right here in the city.
0: Nice family.
1: There's, a, there's only a few Fancy of us. Fancy family. Well, my dad was a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Um, my stepfather and my mom and my stepmother, I, I, I sort of won the lottery mm-hmm. in the sense of if you have to have your parents get divorced. Yeah. Uh, when I was two, uh, they both found great partners. Uh, I've always said that I had four incredible parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, my stepfather was part of the Levi Strauss family. Uh, he passed away 11 years ago. And I grew up. In a family that had a family foundation, right, and grew up with a father and stepmother that were also involved in the community, and so from an early age, kind of was pushed on on that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and Levi's obviously was the company founded here in San Francisco, makes the jeans, very active, a social, socially active company.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's definitely we have a proud tradition and a proud heritage there, and and that's something I grew up around. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was sort of embedded in me and my and my siblings. I went off. I went to. Duke University. Mm -hmm. I, the day after I graduated, I found myself in Bill Bradley's uh, campaign headquarters for president uh, Mm -hmm. in West Orange, New Jersey. Wow! And ended up in Iowa as a field organizer for nine months. So you
0: wanted to go into politics.
1: I wanted to go work for Bill Bradley mm-hmm. instead of going into management consulting right. or the legal uh, mm-hmm. profession. He came and spoke at, at Duke when mm-hmm. I was a student.
0: At the were you the Sanford Center?
1: I was. I couldn't hack the public policy right, degree. Okay. I couldn't handle the statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up getting a poli sci degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I heard him speak, and what struck me was that he talked about. 35 million people that were uninsured in this country at that time. Right. He talked about the 12 million kids going to school hungry. So you had this Rhodes Scholar, Hall of Fame basketball right. player. I was more interested Amazing in the basketball. Person. Amazing person. And he wanted to run for president to help poor people. Yeah. And for me, that clicked for me from my, my childhood. Why off. is that? Why? Well, because... You know, you, you grow up in a in, in San Francisco. Um, we've always we've always had great wealth in this city, and mm-hmm. we've also always had great poverty. Um, and then you have a president or a presidential candidate talking about these issues, and so there was a little um, connection there for me. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. It, it, didn't, no. it didn't. It didn't go the way we wanted. I
0: was surprised he didn't get as far as he
1: he didn't like to get into the he didn't like to
0: do the retail politics.
1: Well, he didn't like to punch. He mm-hmm. didn't like to hit Al Gore when he needed to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he was he was too much of a gentleman. He really was. Uh, and uh, still is. Mm-hmm. So I went I ended up in New York City. I tried a couple different jobs including a consulting job that yeah. was not for me. Right. But it led me to the Robin Hood Foundation. And that's where Explain
0: I, the Robin Hood Foundation people don't know.
1: Robin Hood started by Paul Tudor Jones in in the late 80s. Big
0: rich investment guy.
1: Yeah, who made a lot of money in the downturn in 1987. He wanted to invest his philanthropic dollars like he was his for-profit dollars. So they had He some wanted effect. a return. He
0: wanted impact.
1: He wanted impact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to talk about impact investing, Robin Hood was one of the early founders of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And he wanted to bring people together to give back to issues that aren't so sexy, that aren't a library, that aren't a university, that aren't a hospital or a museum. And he brought his friends along and they started giving back to issues that really were important to the city of New York. Uh, I ended up Working there, my fourth day of work was September 11th, 2001. I was uh, just figuring out the train system, uh, the the subway system, and figuring out which train I should take that morning. And I ended up a block away from the the World World Trade Trade Center Center. exit. Um, And actually, if had I taken another train, I would have ended up inside the World Mm -hmm. Trade Center. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I got out, and the first plane had just hit. I looked up, I saw people falling. And I kept going to work. I was kind of in shock, Uh, as we all were, right? Mm -hmm. But why I talk about that story is I got to be at Robin Hood the next two years helping to rebuild that city. Mm -hmm. Um, And Robin Hood was at the epicenter of it. And we were helping to rebuild those people's lives that were hardest hit by those attacks, and those were low-income New Yorkers. right so it was an honor to work there. And then I started thinking- So you
0: learned at the place that was sort of pioneered, they really did pioneer Impact Investing, using very high net worth individuals, throwing really fantastic events. Yes, yes. Getting them engaged through interest, I guess, not in the typical- you know, way.
1: listen, some, some people get interested because you go to a great party. Some mm-hmm. Many others are interested because they care. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody who, you know, at, at Robin Hood, who is a hedge fund guy, grew up wealthy, or right. a woman grew up wealthy, um, and, and they have their own stories to tell. And I think Paul has done an incredible job of galvanizing that, that right. community. Right. So I... I did learn, and I also, uh, most importantly, met my now wife at mm-hmm. Robin Hood. She was working there at the time, um, and so we started dating there. But I moved back uh, to San Francisco with the intention of starting Tipping Point. I uh, went to grad school at Berkeley from '03 yeah, to '05. social work? Uh, public policy. Public policy. I, I, I went and got that public policy mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't get into business school. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I took a lot of business school courses, but the whole intention was starting an organization similar or built on the model of Robin Hood.
0: So why did you call it Tipping Point?
1: I gave my friends a uh, an opportunity to think about or to come up with the name of the organization. I said, I'd get someone a bottle of champagne if they could come up with the name. And I kept going back to Malcolm Gladwell's book.
0: Right, Tipping that Point. A few
1: passionate people uh, can make great change. Mm-hmm. And it just kept sticking and coming back to me. And so in grad school, I sort of, I went with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, couldn't. Call it just tipping point because not because of the book, but because there's some other ca- California LLC that oh, was called really? Tipping Point. Wow. Um, and actually, he didn't. Interestingly enough, he didn't coin the term, uh, but well, it's an I old did term right. It's an old term uh, right. for a, a white flight from urban cities. Right. Uh, That's right. So yeah, it's funny. The only time I've well, I talked. I called into a another radio show mm-hmm. uh, on forum with mm-hmm. Michael Krasny when Gladwell was on with him. Mm-hmm. So I could introduce myself. <laughs> um, I actually had a chance to have a cup of coffee with him in New York yeah. a, a year ago. Malcolm's and a funny guy. He is a funny guy. So, I knew
0: him before he had his accent but, <laughs> and his hair. He was, oh, he was a crime the hair reporter. is amazing. He was the a crime reporter at the Wall Street at Washington Post when I was there, a kid. When I was a kid, we were both kids there. I didn't know that. Yeah. He didn't have the hair or the accent. But now I no. really enjoy the whole thing.
1: Yeah. He's figured it out. Yeah. So that's where the name came from. I uh so in grad school, wrote the business plan, got introduced somehow to Ronnie Lott, mm-hmm. uh, who was a childhood hero of mine. Mm-hmm. I was actually getting my uh, incorporation documents together. Uh, Latham and Watkins, a local law firm, was doing it pro bono, mm-hmm. and my lawyer talked to his lawyer, uh, and he heard about what I was up to. What's he knew doing? Stan Druckenmiller mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. of of Robinhood, of Robin Hood's board, and uh, we ended up having lunch. I was I was actually in the middle of finals in grad school, and I went to meet him for lunch downtown here in San Francisco. And uh, it took him about 15 minutes to get to the table because everyone wanted to take their picture with him. Mm-hmm. And we sat down, and I told him what we were doing, and he goes, I'm in.
0: and in, just he's, in.
1: he's like, "I'll I'll help you get this started. Now, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he thought, I was Bob Lurie's son, who used <laughs> to be the San Francisco Giants <laughs> owner. Um, so he had his, his family's confused, but he, he stuck with me. Right. I had to go back and take finals. Why was finals. that
0: important to have him? Explain who he is for th- those who are...
1: Well, everybody knows who Joe Montana is.
0: Not me. I actually sat on a plane with him for three hours. We had a delightful But you discussion. know who he is now. Well, after yeah. everyone yelled at me for not knowing who right. he was, right, right, yeah.
1: Um, well, Ronnie I think Lott- he was
0: relieved I didn't know. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah. no, I, I, that's, I'm sure that's true.
0: He was watching Eat Pray Love, and I thought that was weird for such a big guy to be. I was like, what's wrong with you I'm watching Eat Pray Love? And I was watching an action movie. and I've never. I that's him. funny. Yeah, that's funny. I was yeah. Like, mm, that's an unusual. Well, dude. he's got a great movie. wife.
1: Yeah. Um, so maybe she keeps
0: some ground. I don't know. But uh, nobody should watch Eat, Pray, Love. But in any case, um, uh, it was unusual for me to see that. So, so Ronnie. Ronnie.
1: Ronnie was named to the all-defensive team of, of the first 50 years at the NFL, I mm-hmm. believe, which yeah. means Great he's player. one of the best players of all time. Mm-hmm. And what I always say about Ronnie is he's a better player person than he was a football player okay uh he's always committed to the community mm-hmm. um he was he, i think he won four super is he bowls San
0: Francisco? Is he he's in
1: actually from southern california but okay. he lives uh now there. up here in the north bay and or northern california and it's just an incredible human being so he has a tough important. time to saying no his yes. wife karen is actually also, even better than he is so
0: you wanted someone like that with you
1: you need a little star power right um mm-hmm. and not only is he star power he's compassionate and Mm -hmm. cares about these issues Um, and then i found a a hedge fund guy named chris james chris was a committed robin hood supporter Mm -hmm. i did not know him when i was at robin hood but people at robin hood told me i had to call on him because he was a 20-something hedge fund guy giving a lot of money to a new york city-based organization and he was living here he had just moved from new york to here so i sat down with he and his wife and uh they came on board Uh, And then I asked a friend, Katie Schwab, um, who was actually working at Robinhood at the time, if Mm -hmm. she would also come on the founding team. And so the four of us founded Tipping Point, and we launched in June 2005, you know, a couple weeks after the And what was the idea
0: behind it? What was the concept, conceptual? The
1: idea is that – I mean, I gave you the background in Mm -hmm. terms of growing up here, but I knew and we know and you know that we have incredible poverty here in the Bay Area. We have – incredible needs that people can really they can just get in the car and Mm -hmm. they can drive down the one oh one, they can go from here down to Silicon Valley and and go to work at one of these great companies and not see it. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. But what we need to do is we need to educate people. We need to get people engaged. And what I'm really excited about with this younger generation is that people want to be engaged Mm -hmm. but they don't often know where to go. Right. So And they
0: feel charities aren't aren't serving they're complicated. Talk about with the concept. It's very similar to the Robin Hood Foundation. Yeah. You're trying to create impact and, and give to people and, and get returns that are quantifiable, I guess.
1: That's right. So, I mean, the mo- the model is, and it's very different from a traditional philanthropic organization or a foundation, mm-hmm. 100% impact, 100%. All of our overhead is covered by our board of directors, mm-hmm. So and we have no endowment. So every year we started zero. Right. So that first year we raised $450,000 and $450,000 went out. Last year in our 11th full year, we raised $21.9 million. $21.9 million is our grant-making budget for the following year. Uh, We provide not only cash assistance to 44 nonprofits here in the Bay Area uh, currently, but we also connect them with the best of the business sector. Right. The sales forces, the Microsofts, the... Apples, the Google's. To giving them
0: business abilities to, G- and, to and helping. There's always do. been. It's been something. I think Clayton Perkins tried to do that a couple of years ago. Lots of people have tried this thing yeah. using Stanford Business School. I remember writing a story a hundred years ago about it.
1: Yeah, you know, there's always been you know people talking about venture philanthropy and right. impact investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really hard work that not many companies can do well. What they do well is is run their core business, mm-hmm. and then sometimes a lot of businesses go off and try to. Do Have some sort of foundation, and some do it well. Mm-hmm. Few, but they're the exception rather than right. the rule. I think just um, one
0: I can think of: the Gates Foundation. The others seem kind of dizzy to me at this uh, point.
1: There are some massive foundations out there, mm-hmm. but so we provide access for the forty-four nonprofits, the direct right. services. We provide access to the best of the business world, but we also provide metrics and accountability, and we help them measure their results so that they can. Not only prove what they're doing is working, but improve right. what they're doing. But
0: so if something's not, they, so they know what's happening. A lot of times, money's thrown at things, and you don't know what the impact is whatsoever.
1: That's exactly. So right.
0: you pick out certain charities, correct? You pick out. There's they vet you vet them essentially.
1: By some counts, there's fifteen thousand nonprofits in the Bay Area alone. Mm-hmm. We fund forty four. We've mm-hmm. seen thousands of them in our. And what are your effort. criteria? Strong leadership, clean financials, a willingness, a willingness to measure and hold themselves accountable, and a willingness to actually engage with a foundation like ours or an organization like ours that does not just write a check and walk away. Mm-hmm. We write a check, and then we roll up our sleeves, and we get in there with them mm-hmm. and help them get stronger because you know, the time for good intentions is over. Right. Uh, we need tangible results. Mm-hmm. This We are talking about people's lives. We're talking about 1.3 million people who are too poor to meet their basic needs in the, in the home of – all of these amazing companies sure. that you cover every day—it's uh, unacceptable, and that's why Tipping Point exists.
0: So you only have 44 out of that. I didn't realize it yeah. was so few.
1: It's there's not many. Uh, we've had more. We've cut uh, 20% because of the groups they, because they haven't. And at you times still look for up. more, and, then and we then you... and we'll look for more. That's mm-hmm. right. We're, we feel pretty good where we're at. We add one or two a year at this rate, and it kind of depends on how much we raise as Mm -hmm. well so if we raise more on
0: any one one thing that they do so
1: we have four issue areas that Mm -hmm. we cover because we believe there's no silver bullet to solving poverty Mm -hmm. um if you put a gun to my head i'd say education right 45 percent of our funding goes to our education portfolio Mm -hmm. but we believe in diversifying and so uh we talk about we have education uh housing employment so job training and then health Mm-hmm. Um, and in our health area, we're going to be focusing on kind of the zero to five range and school preparedness and school readiness. And so, you know, in education, we fund charter schools, we fund programs that go into traditional public schools, we fund after school programs. Housing, we fund organizations like Homeless Prenatal P- Program and Compass, and we fund Larkin Street mm-hmm. that works with uh, foster youth and, and First Place for Youth in Oakland. We're all over the Bay Area, so we fund in San Jose and East Bay. We're actually split a th- essentially a third, a third, a third: San Francisco, East Bay, and South Bay, with a few
0: groups in Marin. Sure. So your concept is to is again effectiveness. Now it's interesting because those those are the four pillars you're talking about. Are the critical pillar. They can't really be apart from each other, right? That's like, right. I can't. mean, if,
1: if you have a child uh, who is going to a failing school, I mean, they're in trouble, mm-hmm. right? But if they're going to a really good school, if they're going to one of our schools, whether mm-hmm. it's Rocket Ship or Aspire or KIP, mm-hmm. okay, you're, you're taking care of you the know, school plan. 7.30 to 4, 7.30 to 5. But then they, if they're going home and if they're sleeping in their car with their, their mom or their dad or both, and if those parents don't have a living wage job mm-hmm. or if they don't have access to health care, yeah, that, that child exactly. is going to s- struggle and not make it, right. saying nothing about the parents. Mm-hmm. So we believe in, you know, you got to make sure they have safe housing living wage and access to sure. great Sure. It's healthcare. critical. I,
0: you know, I don't know if you know this, but my senior, I went to Columbia and my senior project there, I went to the journalism school, I, I went to Georgetown undergraduate, but graduate school, I went to Columbia and was about uh, kids in welfare hotels in New York and mm-hmm. how they became permanent residents in these yep. hotels. The only reason I noticed was there was a kid had, who had to travel from the 30s where the hotel was to the 90s where the school was from the west side to the east side. And so they were in a bus all day, they, this person was this kid was suffering because he was a home but homeless hotels had become permanent when they were supposed to be a transitional quick housing yep, fix. That's right. And every single one of the kids in the hotels suffered in schools and lots of reasons, food and health and housing and, and, and it was it's inexplicable that they kept going and it was super expensive for the city to house them there at the same time. So the money was ill spent. And um, I ended up living there with them to, you know, to figure out their life. It was really fascinating. But you really did begin to see how each of the pieces. How long did you Oh, a couple months. We had a photographer. And it was really interesting because you began to see how easily it was fixed and how hard it was Mm -hmm. because there were so many parts to it.
1: I mean, you talk about expensive, Mm -hmm. but it's more expensive to keep them housed and to have in, them living on the streets and and yes
0: and, of course yes yes because they in this time they didn't let families go on the streets and at this time and i was this was a long time yeah, now they do obviously right,
1: right well that i guess that can be mm-hmm. for our next mm-hmm. next conversation yeah. but uh it's intense. I mean, we have friends. We have, you know, I have a friend that I'm thinking of right now who's spoken in front of our mm-hmm. our crowd and um, who was living in his car as a 16 year old and a 17 year old mm-hmm. ended up going through one of our programs year up um, and uh, worked at LinkedIn and mm-hmm. now works at Berkeley. So uh, we need to do better by
0: by a lot of people. Lot well, of we're going to talk about that and more in the next segment. We're talking to Daniel Lurie of the Tipping Point Foundation which has raised more than $120 million for the community around the San Francisco Bay Area, the entire area, correct?
1: The entire region.
0: Um, and we will be back talking about where some things they're doing, some new things they're doing, uh, some major issues like homelessness and other things here in San Francisco, and then what the tech community should do because I do think they do sit down on the job a lot of times and the enormous wealth they have to deploy to fix these problems. This show is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Their award-winning templates are the most beautiful way to present your ideas online. Create a beautiful website or online store with Squarespace's all in one platform. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. They'll set you up with a unique domain, and they provide award-winning 24-7 customer support. Squarespace is used by a wide range of creatives, people, and businesses, musicians, designers, artists, restaurants, and more. So make your next move with Squarespace. Use the offer code RECODE for 10% off your first purchase of the website or a domain. That's offer code RECODE for a 10% off your first purchase at squarespace.com. This podcast is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job on more than 200 job sites, including Facebook and Twitter, all with one click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com decode one more time to go try it for free go to ziprecruiter.com slash decode I'm here with Daniel Lurie who runs the Tipping Point community which is a philanthropy. It's more than a philanthropy. It's become something rather major in the tech industry with tech because you have a lot of tech fans.
1: We do. You we do board members, board members, and leadership everything. council. Members, yeah, and donors. it's like the, it's
0: like this the party they like to go to in terms of you've gotten them to go show up and do charity, which I find them to be the most self-involved people around. But somehow you've managed to pull them in. Can you talk about that? Because I find yeah. it fascinating your events because you you tell stories, people's mm-hmm. real stories, and they're heartbreaking. I'm always crying at one of your events um you create a great environment where people feel good about it. it you do something totally bizarre where they put up their hands who's going to give a million dollars and like 10 people put up their hands which is
1: I wish it was 10 I but know but it has
0: been in the past it's, it's just it's a really interesting event that you sort of push tech people heavily talk about that you you know cuz you I guess in any community Robin uh, the Robin Hood Foundation talks to investment people oh. cuz they're in New York um, here you you know you go where the money is the money is in tech
1: We live in an incredible moment in time, and you cover it every day. Mm -hmm. And Tipping Point sits right in the middle of this incredible tension between incredible wealth and incredible poverty. Mm -hmm. We have 600,000 people living below the federal poverty line and 1.3 million people too poor to meet their basic needs. Mm -hmm. And we need people with means to stand up and to get involved. And we need to tell the stories. And so we are always thinking about how to walk that tightrope because we have to be— uh, we have to walk with humility in telling a client story sure. in a setting. Sure, you're not like, like a
0: marketing opportunity for you. Yeah,
1: it's it's really we have to be careful with how we do it, and and I think we do it by how engaged and involved we are in the work. And then you talk to a lot of people in tech. I get to talk to people in tech that care. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was I, my my father often says that my role is a little bit like a rabbi's role. So I mm-hmm. get to I get to see the best. In Mm -hmm. in everybody even people that uh, others don't see such good things Mm -hmm. and and yet there are a lot of people that are getting involved you know you 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 know them well we have uh, Mark Benioff we have now Mark Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan they really seem to get it Mm -hmm. Um, I could talk about a couple of the Twitter founders that have been incredibly supportive we have more people that care than than I think most people realize we have to do more. They need to do more. we well,
0: talk about the tech community because they do get dinged for having these beautiful headquarters in the sky. Mm-hmm. Twitter, for example. What meanwhile down below, yeah, you know, it's a little like that movie nobody watched called Elysium, where the rich people live above, the poor people live below. And there's, you know, there was a lot of pushback on tech people, vomiting on buses, stopping, that kind of thing. They don't care. There's all this fighting going on the mission. How do you look at that? I mean, obviously, you see it as an opportunity to get involved rather than a flashpoint, which it's become. It, why do you think it that? It should is? always
1: be a flashpoint if these businesses are not taking care of their community because it's just – it's good business mm-hmm. to be a good community member. But
0: why and, don't they? Because like you think about Wells Fargo and Bank of America back in the old days. They they supported all the civic institutions, the opera, the the, the um, museums, the the all kinds com- por- right. – poverty. And,
1: and, I, and I don't – These
0: do not. We they don't, do
1: not. We don't have the 24-7 media and mm-hmm. we didn't have Recode back in the mm-hmm. 1800s. Right. To monitor what those companies did in their first five and 10 and 15 mm-hmm. years. What I've seen from. Well, let's I don't say, care.
0: They're really rich. They really right. should. Right. But get back let's, let's
1: talk about. And I definitely. Piles of cash. You can. You can I'm not. See, an I wouldn't apologist. be good at running
0: your thing. I'd say, give me the money now. Right. idiot. Right. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. don't do that.
1: I, I've worked with people that do do that. Okay. So um, I've teamed up with them and, and we've been successful. I'd have
0: a mallet. Daniel, I'd say, give me your money or I'll yeah, break your I like, hands. Like, I like I'd the, go the godfather route.
1: I like the velvet. I know Lizard, you are. You're so Gavel. nice.
0: You're so nice. I love that. I like, But you do get the money the same we way. You do get the money. I'd that's still get more. I feel I would get more by hitting them. But anyway. Um, $22 so,
1: million dollars in yes. our 10th year yeah, I'm was, get I was year thinking it was that's not good. enough.
0: I ran into Sheryl Sandberg the other day, and she had given a million dollars to Planned Parenthood. I don't know if you know that I didn't recently. know that. Yeah, I've and so she said it to me. She years. goes, I will let's, get her Let's for, work, let's on, her work on her together. I'll be velvety. Cheryl, you can be we're the coming through. I okay. have the hammer. Kay. Daniel's going to be nice. It can go either way. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> she, she gave a million dollars, and I heard her say it, and I go, $10 million? That's pretty good. And she goes, No, a million. And I go, What? That's cheap. And she's like, what? That's a lot of money. I go, can, Will ugh, you, nah. you come on my fundraising page yes, with me? That we can and I was like, ugh, 10. 10 isn't even enough. 50 is what you really should be giving you, rich person. And so she was like, oh my God. Like, And it was very funny. So I felt right. like I wouldn't be good at, at the business that you do. Well, how but, about
1: let's talk about Google for a second. Okay, go, all right. Google, under uh, someone named Rachel Whetstone, yes. who I know you know, <laughs>
0: who's, now who's now at Uber. My call, sadly. Uh,
1: she and Jacqueline Fuller mm-hmm. of Google.org, I yeah. think, really changed how they view yes. now. A flashpoint, I believe, had to occur for them to focus on local giving. Right. And now they have a guy named Justin Steele running uh, mm-hmm. some of their Bay Area giving. They just announced $11 million in racial justice funding. Right.
0: Which is critical.
1: This is what we need to do. This is what we need to see from companies like Google. We mm-hmm. need to see it from Facebook. I believe it's coming. You, If you look at the Facebook executive team, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a remarkable group of people, right, that in their individual lives, I think are very philanthropic. And mm-hmm. at the corporate level, they had a policy of just, I they said no. More. Yeah, I think that's changing. Mm-hmm. And I think they're understanding now in a way that is really, that's why is I'm that, so optimistic that they can they need to be part of the community.
0: Is that pushed by the, the, the bad press they got around the buses and everything else? That, or
1: I think in, in some cases, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I or think they, or, we, or we, we teamed up, growing with, up. We, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, Uh, Mark Benioff called me about two and a half, three years ago and said, we need to do something about these tech companies. Yeah, Um, The hammer, he's the hammer. So he called me and he thought Tipping Point would be an excellent vehicle in which to make Mm -hmm. his idea happen. And the two of us then went out together Mm -hmm. and we got 20 companies in 60 days to commit, now you're going to say it's not enough, $500,000. It's not enough. We raised $10 million in 60 days from companies that everyone said, no way! No, no way! They would give right. Um, so I think that's the tip of the iceberg. But we got companies like Box and Dropbox and Octa. So we got some of the smaller ones giving. Uh, we got Pop Sugar. I mean, we got all along the line up to Apple and Google mm-hmm. and Salesforce and Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, I have
0: an idea: legislation that we pass every time they get a venture capital investment, they've got to give some. Well, like, that's funny that what do you, you say that.
1: I don't think the private money likes seeing their money go out the door to philanthropy. Really? Yeah, that has not been
0: sins to cover up. So why not? That has has not been a winner in
1: going to some of these private companies. And actually, uh, when we 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 did SF Gives Mm -hmm. and the private companies gave to Tipping Point, it was the CEOs that gave their own. Um, so Aaron mm-hmm. was amazing and uh, and Frederick Caress and Todd McKinnon and Okta. They, mm-hmm. uh, they gave of, of personal. Um, so
0: how so. are the venture capitalists? Are they?
1: We go after the CEOs and the you entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs. You do. Because, because why? I think actually the VCs follow what their entrepreneurs I do. I see. Sorry. I have not seen – vcs leading no on this issue
0: no they're sheeple i don't know if you know that but i can instruct you on that situation well later. maybe in our, together, yes, in our meetings together we'll, we'll, we'll be <laughs> able to just bring to me do... i'll just stand at the back of the room and glare at them. you're
1: not standing in the back you're going to sit right no, next I'm just to me
0: glare and then that'll be enough because okay. they don't know what's coming you okay. see what i'm saying i like that so, but let's get back to to what tech owes them because i do think they abrogate their responsibility rather heavily in that they they benefit from the city they're young people the young people work there live in the city they take advantage of the the things, they're messing up the housing prices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do you create a ci- sense of civic responsibility around companies, even if they're young? Saying they're young is really no excuse.
1: It has to come from the top
0: mm-hmm. because
1: it's going to come from the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's going to come from their junior-level employees. And so I think it's so incredibly important to build it into the culture from day one, which is what we saw Salesforce do. Sure. or what you know. I was just at Okta this morning. Mm-hmm. They're all hands meeting. and they have built it in from pre-IPO, right? They've put aside shares, they've uh, mandated that employees volunteer. Um, so I think you have, first, you have to educate. Because not everybody, for me, I grew up in a family that pushed it, right? And and I was very fortunate in every regard. But philanthropy is something that is learned. It's not innate. right? Uh, and so, first, there's that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Second, if a CEO doesn't get it, and you and I both know the CEOs that don't get it, you have to explain to them why it's good business. Their employees want to work at a company that they they feel proud about working for. Retention is it, it's important to all of these companies. If you lose a talented mm-hmm. individual to another company uh, for whatever reason, it's expensive to replace that person and, and to train that person up. So you want morale to be high. You want people to feel good about the job and the company that they're working at. And I think I think these companies are starting to hear that, whether mm-hmm. it's coming from people with a hammer telling them, or whether it's coming from.
0: Do you think others. there should be mandated civic involvement?
1: No, no. I don't think that works. Right, because th- it gets
0: people down in the trenches, with, so they understand the problem. That's why.
1: I mean, I I don't, have it at
0: my kids' school. I think it's critical.
1: I I had it in high school. I had to mm-hmm. go volunteer, so I, I'm all for that. I think that's the other way to. Do it as you go through the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Or you go through, and and we're talking about companies that the founders or the CEOs don't get it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you are going to I I don't you don't want people yeah. begrudgingly there. You Why want not? to incense people right. to be part of the community, really? and y- frankly, there are enough people that care and mm-hmm. want to be involved, but they don't always know how to do it, right? And so let's get all those people involved first. I've I've given up on on some people because mm-hmm. we, i've 11 12 years and nothing and guess nothing. what there's not enough time in the day for our staff our incredible staff to go out and get to the right. people that do want to be involved <laughs> let alone trying to go after people that
0: yeah are, don't care don't care they're going to go to hell when we get back with daniel Lurie, uh who is from the tipping point community uh we're going to be talking about some things they're going to do some new things they're doing uh that they're going to announce here this podcast is also brought to you by go cd the on-premise open-source continuous delivery server created by ThoughtWorks. With GoCD's comprehensive pipeline modeling, you can model complex workflows for multiple teams with ease. And GoCD's value stream map lets you track a change from commit to deploy at a glance. GoCD's real power is the visibility it provides over your end-to-end workflow. So get complete control of and visibility into your deployments across multiple teams. Say goodbye to deployment panic and hello to consistent, predictable deliveries. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.io slash recode for a free download. Commercial support and enterprise add-ons, including disaster recovery, are available. We're here with Daniel Lurie, the founder and CEO of The Tipping Point Community, a nonprofit that fights poverty in the San Francisco Bay Area throughout the area. Over the past 12 years, Tipping Point has raised and invested more than $120 million in the community. What are you doing now? You're doing something special now. You're gonna, one of the biggest intractable problems in San Francisco, homelessness.
1: That's right. So we we fund, to date, we've funded just direct service organizations, the Mm -hmm. 44 groups that I mentioned um, and spoke about earlier. We've never jumped into the policy arena, right. uh, and
0: so you just fix things. You're not. Well,
1: we try to we try to support people problem. that are trying on the on the front lines doing the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we've realized is that we can't direct service our way out of the issues no. of poverty, and that we need to leverage city dollars, state dollars, and federal dollars. And you need to
0: influence policy. Are we and doing we will, the right things? That's
1: right. That's right. And we want. Uh, and so we've hired a team inside Tipping Point. It's a mm-hmm. four person team that is going to. Go after the chronic homeless population. By some counts, and these are there's no good count when you're you know you ha- you send out 700 volunteers to count the homeless, which we did just about a month ago here in the city. Um, it's not the best way to count people, but right. it's the only way we ha- The only count we have, we think there's somewhere between 1,700 and 2,000 chronically homeless people. Uh, The definition of that is someone that's been sleeping out on the street for more than a year and has Mm -hmm. a disabling condition. Right, mental Um,
0: illness or something. Mental
1: illness, drug addiction, uh, mental health issues. So we have other people going after veterans homelessness. Uh, We have other people going after family homelessness. Uh, Chronic homelessness is not Which is where all the costs come,
0: correct? The chronic, homeless, yes. Chronic. Homelessness. As, without, it's interesting. Yeah. I was just up in um, where was I? I can't. Remember, in Chicago, and I went to the whole, the whole house, Adams, Jane Adams, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how they they went; these women went door to door and counted who was in each of these hovels, essentially, and and really did an amazing map of poverty in the Chicago area, which was the first step to solving it.
1: We're we're actually talking with a couple of the local universities about mm-hmm. doing something similar. It was
0: fascinating. Like these are they were hand drawn maps that yep. were absolutely accurate, which was really interesting. And again, they were we able to identify the problems before they could fix the problems, which I think that's one of the big issues. Who are they? What are they, what are they costing?
1: You have to get proximate, as, mm-hmm. as uh, Brian Stevenson says. Mm-hmm. You have to get proximate to this problem and this issue. Um, we and as have citizens data.
0: and have data, and
1: we have data. Mm-hmm. And what better place to team up with great companies that can mm-hmm. help us get that data than mm-hmm. right here? I mean, if any region could tackle and solve this problem. It's the so San what Francisco are you doing bear. with this? So you've, you've, so
0: you've done a poll, I guess, or, or a no poll. So
1: so well, the city did it, and mm-hmm. so we realized that this is the issue of our time. Mm-hmm. This is this this is the signal of income inequality that everyone sees every day, mm-hmm. which makes everybody an expert. By the way, you know, you walk in down the street, up to your yep. office today, and you see someone lying on the sidewalk, right? And that isn't compassionate. Mm-hmm. We're not taking care of our fellow man or woman. People living on the streets deserve better. Mm -hmm. So we have kind of a three-point plan that we're going to go after. And I think what makes what we're going to do unique uh, and different from all the other efforts over the last 35 years is that we're going to team up with government and not just let government do it all by themselves. Uh, There's some incredibly hardworking people in government. We want to help uh, build new units and mine housing existing units. housing units and help mine existing units that are already out mm-hmm. there that are being underutilized. And it, you might say, well, there's no way there's underutilized housing units. There are oh, sure. uh, in in the city, and actually there's Section 8 vouchers that are going unused here in San Francisco. Wow. And so we're going to change that. And we're going to do this in partnership with the city. We're also going to help optimize and support uh, the city and optimize the public sector, which means that we're going to actually help the Department of Housing and Jeff Kaczynski shop hire a couple of people to, to get be- better data, to talk across departments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then They we're, probably
0: don't even know where they're wasting their money, would be my guess. Like they don't have a real good sense of where the most high-cost individuals are, for example. We
1: don't know the names of the people that are living mm-hmm. on the street. We mm-hmm. need, to your point. Yeah. we need to know the names no, of everybody guessing, first. but I'm guessing.
0: I would have to guess because they have heard this before in other cities. Because uh, when they're starting to really use data, is that a certain small segment tends to overwhelm the facility. You know, I was talking to Megan Smith. Yeah. Uh, they were doing that in cities and certain small groups of people tend to overwhelm the cost. And if you fix two or three small things, like in Miami and other places, um, you can fix the problem that's, much quicker. And then iterate why we're going it around after the country. The chronic homeless.
1: Right. Seventeen hundred. If you talk about how many homeless there are on a given night. You can say anything from eight thousand to ten thousand. That's why we're focusing on the seventeen hundred, because one of those individuals can cost the city upwards of a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. We have it pegged at around eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year, which is enormous. And if you house them, it only costs twenty thousand right. dollars a year. Right. Uh, and so, you made my point perfectly. What
0: is the, what is the amount San Francisco spends? Mm-hmm.
1: The San Francisco Chronicle will use the number two hundred forty-two million dollars a year. Uh, that is not a number that we believe is accurate. We believe that they're spending that much on actually preventing people from falling into homelessness. So mm-hmm. that's where a lot of that money is being spent. We think the number is somewhere between $500 and $600 million incredible. a year. The city knows it's incredible. They know they have a major issue. That's why Mayor Leah said it's his number one issue. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've developed a new Department of Housing. We have uh, Trent Rohr of Human Services Agency and, Barbara Garcia of the Department of Public Health. Trent's Shop is about a billion dollars a year. Barbara's, we believe, is two billion dollars a year. We sat down with all three of those leaders of those departments this week. They're all committed to working mm-hmm. with us on this. The mayor has committed. So what does him. that mean you're
0: doing? It mean? means
1: that we're going to work in. We're not going to be of the system. We're going to be outside pushing them. But it means we're going to fund staffing positions inside the wow. Department of wow. Public Homeless. So you're going
0: to pay for government positions. Or you pay that are for a, help a couple them. that mm-hmm. help
1: them be more strategic and more effective. And what do you
0: get for that? What is your—
1: We get oh. moving people off the streets. We get mm-hmm. people living with dignity instead of living on the sidewalks or, uh, you know, individuals living— uh, I
0: think the most difficult thing in San Francisco is how mentally ill so many of them are obviously are. And then you create a compassion vacuum among people because when you walk yeah. down the street and get screamed at, and even though it's mentally ill, you start to develop a, a real— shell that you don't want to you know that's right it's really and hard.
1: it's a, i think it, it as as we say in the office it's a test of our compassion mm-hmm. and our our humanity and w- i and we believe it's breaking down in this mm-hmm. city mm-hmm. I, you cannot explain i i walk my 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 daughter to school in the mission district mm-hmm. uh each day and we literally have to step around people yeah and she's like why is he sleeping on the street um and i say he doesn't have a place to go and then you kind of want to move on you don't want to talk to your five-year-old about right it. um or, or you try to take engage
0: your with these with the people
1: or you try to take your kid i'm sure you've seen this with your children where you try to take them and you see people openly shooting up mm-hmm. um on the street this is not okay it's not okay for them it's not okay for our kids and and we need to do better and so what do we get out of it we get a better city for those people that are homeless and we get a better city one for of one all of, of the us.
0: tactics of some cities is just remove them and ship them elsewhere
1: yep um
0: which san francisco is not done has w- not had well that.
1: we have a, we actually we, 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 we do have some, a homeward bound program right. um, that gavin started that we're going to actually work with but it's it's sort of a family finding mm-hmm. a, uh, notion that if I'm talking,
0: so, some people just round them up and yeah, move them to nevada no, can't or wherever that.
1: no no we're we're uh, we are a compassionate city we have you know, we, you and I both believe in San Francisco values, but what we are seeing on our streets are not San Francisco ha, has values. Has that
0: changed? Because, you know, there's been several incidents of tech people writing idiotic pieces. I see where they come from, as douche bro as they are. It's usually a guy. It's never a woman. And it, they're really fascinating in their their almost complete lack of humanity. Yeah, there's And no so you empathy. have that image of, yeah. of tech people like that.
1: Yeah, and then for every other one – of, of those tech people. I'll, I get it. I'll, I'll show you a, a David Marcus mm-hmm. who
0: about, used to be PayPal now Facebook. Facebook.
1: I'll show you, uh, you know, an Aaron Levy. I'll show you people that do care. But back to your earlier point about what we get out of it, it's we get a better city. And so we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to try to help finish off funding on 34 respite beds mm-hmm. um, for really mentally ill people so that they don't have to be sent to SF General, which costs even more. which costs even more SF General. Then gets
0: has overwhelmed.
1: A, gets overwhelmed. They're at max capacity. They have to do a seventy two hour care. hold. Um, well, they well SF General does great care, no, but but they, but don't, they don't. This don't. is not something that you can take care of in a maxed out hospital. Right. So thirty four respite beds. we're going to help finish that funding for the Department of Public Health, they put in a few well, million dollars. You got, dollars. This we'll funding, you got a
0: special million. funding for this, right? A $5 million?
1: So we got a, a, an anonymous grant to launch this with $5 million. By the end of March, we hope to have raised a lot more than that to tackle this problem. It's a separate fund. We're going to still continue our core work right. of funding the 44 groups, because what comes out of that work is the ability to dive deeply into an issue like Mm -hmm. chronic homelessness.
0: Mm -hmm. Which seems to be the key issue of San Francisco at this point. We think so. Yeah. And what other things do you think are important that that the community here – because it is, you know, all these headquarters are moving back to San Francisco. You've got – some are moving to Oakland, Uber. It will continue to have a a location here. But Salesforce Tower, the LinkedIn Tower, however sinking one of them might be. I don't know which one's sinking. But when you have that, when you have these tech companies sort of headquartering here in a city versus the suburbs – um and you guys work all over the whole bay area
1: yes the whole region the
0: whole region how do you conceive of a city going forward how should a city live with all these incredibly wealthy people and very poor people at the same time is I, that is that are those just impossible
1: i'm the eternal optimist mm-hmm. um and uh i think i think you are too i think we have to keep pushing people i think the one thing that i would i would say is whether it's Uber moving to Oakland, um, I think all of these issues are no longer just a city issue. I think it's a regional issue. And I think we need to start working more closely with Mayor Schaff and Mayor Liccardo. Um, I think uh, when Tipping Point started, people said, well, just focus on San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You can't just focus. A homeless problem is not just a San Francisco problem. I drove to Oakland yesterday mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I saw 100 people living in a tent encampment underneath one of the Oakland uh, freeways. We need to work better as a region, and actually I think that's where these companies can play a role. They have to move their employees back and forth. They understand the importance of transportation. For somebody that's poor working here in San Francisco, a lot of them have to commute an hour and a half, two hours, one way. They're spending 20 to $25 to get here. Mm-hmm. Public transportation is actually quite expensive for for many people. We have to figure out how we get people in here more uh, With the housing prices going on, and then and then we need to build more housing at every income level. Yeah. We have to build more housing here in San Francisco. They, we will never build enough housing to yes, house everybody here. Right. But there's some neighborhoods in the peninsula that are more have more nimby's, mm-hmm. not my backyard mm-hmm. folks, than. We do here in San Francisco, and that's right. saying something. Really? So yeah, we need to. There's a b-
0: lot of nimbys here. I'm a yimby. Are you a yimby?
1: I'm a yimby. You're a yimby. Absolutely. Why is I there think If we're going to build housing, let's
0: explain that. It's yes in my backyard, no in my backyard, and essentially the nimbys don't want more development. I
1: think you got. I, we don't have density. Jeremy, one of the Jeremy Stobelman, one of the yimbys. I've, I've seen yes, him he's at a YIMBY. Yelp. I like his posts. I think mm-hmm. if we're going to house more homeless people in San Francisco, which we should, every district should have housing put up in absolutely it, all every 11 district. every district they never work across forget districts. just you know you know you got um, you know i think it's malia and jane mm-hmm. kim feeling that everything goes up in soma or yep. um, in Potrero. but every person mm-hmm. in this city should commit to helping solve this issue
0: absolutely one of the issue arguments i've had with them and others when i get into arguments with them is um you know, they're like development. The developers win. They're only gonna make rich kids housing. Da da da. And I go, you know what? Rich people always win. Let's make them build. Like let's mandate housing that co- make a dense housing situation here. We because have to go in up. the end, we have to go. The up. The rich will take over everything and develop it themselves, and then it'll be gone, and then it'll be finished. So going up and having dense housing. Every city in the world has dense housing. Every every single city. city. And if we want to be Except the great ours. city
1: that we think we are, mm-hmm. and right now, I you know I've always i 've always loved this city, um, but there 's a lot of problems that we have to hold a mirror up and right. look at ourselves so
0: every neighborhood you 're right it's every, neighbor- be every we,
1: neighborhood and and if you think that uh, by not building housing in your neighborhood is going to like somehow help you, I would just tell you you know how are you feeling when you 're walking down many mm-hmm. streets in this city right. you 're not feeling good about how we 're creating treating our common man, mm-hmm. and so S- stop saying no and start saying yes and saying, I'm going to be part of the solution. Is that a problem,
0: the political stalemates that happen here in San Francisco?
1: I, it's a problem and every, I mean, it's a problem in, in this it's country. It's
0: noisier than ever here. <laughs> I I, you know,
1: I so I grew up, I worked for a supervisor when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. My high school mandated mm-hmm. that you go do community service and I went and worked for supervisor, Barbara Kaufman mm-hmm. at the time. She's She's still around, she's awesome. And uh, it was pretty noisy back then. And during Gavin's time? Yeah. You talked to Gavin? Yeah. I mean, he and Aaron had and yeah, Chris Daly. They Nothing had like not...
0: left-wing people yelling at left-wing people, yeah. left wing <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. people. And that's, <laughs> that's I mean, always an enjoyment. I actually
1: think it's a pretty, it's think, a relatively. I almost thought of
0: becoming like a right-wing Republican here just to be different. But except I'm not, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, but you you'll come into these meetings with me and yell at people. Yes. That'll be a different. Yeah. We yeah. can start there. Yes,
0: that's true. I'm more of a. I'm a, more of a populist, Daniel. You're a lovely guy. I'm <laughs> a little different in that regard. Um. So we, that begs the question: Are you going to run for office? Do you ever see yourself running for politics? People talk about it.
1: People do talk about it, mm-hmm. and my answer is that I honestly I'm I'm upset about walking down the street and mm-hmm. figuring out what we're going to do next week at Tipping Point.
0: Yeah, you're almost too nice for politics, Daniel. I'll be honest with you.
1: Well, the question That's is, when are you going to run?
0: <laughs> when I when I soon soon enough when I'm tired of it. I told you I'm gonna be the Trump of San Francisco, except like not awful, not awful. Yeah, but similar things. There's there is a there is an interesting. Um, I, I hate. I do not want to compliment Donald Trump, but there is a certain thing he's expressing about Absolutely. people and politics, and the feeling that, of being that politics has gotten away from citizens.
1: Uh, and we, I mean, not that he's one
0: that deserves any getting, no, getting towards, no, he, but
1: he tapped into something that's there on, on both sides. Bernie mm-hmm. did too, yep. right? It's a I, very so,
0: genuine feeling of feeling that you've been played and played, and you pay and pay, and you work hard, and you don't get everybody at every level. Not just poor people, rich people, middle class people all feel. I mean, think the poor people are doing rather well, but still it's the feeling that you don't have control of your government, which is interesting. All right, so when is this going to happen? When is this going to start happening, this new thing?
1: We've actually already made a couple of small investments, mm-hmm. um, but we're going to launch... Uh this week, this week of March 27th.
0: Great, well congratulations. And then after this, you're just gonna keep fixing our city for us.
1: My team, our board, our leadership council, we have a lot of work to do. So we need more supporters and I need you to come to some of these meetings I shall
0: come to whatever you want. Two things, what could a regular person do? Someone who has some means, makes a good living here in San Francisco because of tech, what could they do? What's the one first thing they should do? Well, I
1: think you should advocate for your company to volunteer hours. Hours or money. Hours that you can go and get paid whether it's 20 hours, whether it's 40 hours a year, where you can go out and volunteer into the community. Join a board of a mm-hmm. grassroots organization. Use your time, your talent, your treasure. You know, give give 50 bucks, give 100 bucks. Go volunteer and find out if and what gets you fired up. Is it kids? Is it the housing issue? Is it getting... Kids ready for jobs at these tech companies. Sure. We have our SF Gives companies doing a job shadow week mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks, where ten companies from our SF Gives portfolio are going to host students and, and kids from some of our programs, so they can see what it's like to work in a tech company. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know this better than I do. There are millions of jobs that are oh, unfilled, unfilled at these tech companies, yep. and they need talented people. We need to help scale up some of these programs like Genesis Works and LinkedIn and or, uh, and Year Up. That can help place people into these jobs. So, don't think because you're 25 year old or a 30 year old that you can't give back. You yeah. can.
0: Yeah. Bring your kombucha with you, but get doing some, right? Absolutely. Your bring your Phil's kombucha. coffee. I don't yeah. care what you bring. Last question I ask everybody: What's the thing that you make mistake that you made that you learned from? That you're, you're an entrepreneur. You are an entrepreneurial personality. What's something you would give an advice to someone?
1: Be transparent. I'm pretty open with my team. We've we've grown up. To about 40 plus people in our office. And I think some people think that you, as the leader and the CEO, always have to have the answer. Mm-hmm. And I don't. Wow. And, and you I don't. Tell, I do. I have all the answers. You have all now. the answers. <laughs> um, and I think I'm honest <laughs> I'm good with at my team. I pretending I do.
0: Yeah. So you're honest with your team. So yeah. be honest. What's basically. your
1: answer to that question?
0: To that? What's yeah. the mistake I made? When I didn't do something I wanted to do, when I edited myself. Editing yourself is always the mistake. I think people do that, they question. Good instincts,
1: and you've started a couple of things. How about I have? And so, what? How do you deal with your team in terms of leadership and and like I'm when you're not sure? We're transparent,
0: right. but we're leaders, though. We yeah, say yeah. this is the way we're going. Yeah, you know, we try. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a. I, I like feedback, but at some point, you make a decision. I don't. I'm not a. I'm, I, given them that I'm a lesbian, I don't like lesbian collectives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, not everybody gets to decide. Yeah. And so, I think we make decisions, and I think that helps a lot of people. And they may not like it, but. We listen and then we do what we think is important. Yeah. So I think leadership is leadership is always important. Like Gavin Newsom around the gay issue, that was Which leadership. Go, that leadership was, yep. wasn't good for him. I mean, it wasn't good for him politically. But yep. he displayed, you know, it's called leadership. My right?
1: wife was working for him at the time. Was he? What was a great moment? It was a great yep. moment. I
0: Gavin, I almost named a child after him, but then I, then I pulled back intelligently <laughs> not to do so. Sorry, Gavin. It's a very nice name, but not for my children. Anyway, um, thank you. He has enough children. <laughs> he does. Doesn't yeah. he have, like, 53 yeah. now? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, uh, ran yep. into his and poor, Jeff. long-suffering wife. I know, yeah. My, you know, oddly enough, my brother has been the anesthesiologist, on, I think, on all of them. <laughs> I know, small world. Anyway, thank you, Daniel Lurie, with the Tipping Point Community. It's a nonprofit that fights poverty in the San Francisco Bay Area and has done more than your fair share of helping fix the city. We didn't talk about the Super Bowl but I actually don't care about the Super Bowl that's okay I'm good with
1: not talking about it anymore that was a year ago
0: All right. thank you Daniel for being here thank you Um, for having me and thanks for coming by if you enjoyed the interview as much as I did be sure to subscribe to the show be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes including some really fantastic interviews I've done with California Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom whom I didn't name my children after The bold Italic CEO, Sunil Rajaraman, and fun home author, Alison Bechdel, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Two Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. Thank you to Eric Johnson, who produces it. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. For companies to succeed today, they need builders, and builders need tools that allow them to innovate. The problem is most cloud vendors don't offer the range of tools builders are looking for. Amazon Web Services is the leading cloud service provider, giving builders the reliability and security they need. AWS pioneered cloud computing over 10 years ago to help any business from the smallest startups to the biggest global enterprises create their own applications and manage their workloads. By listening to what customers want, AWS is adding more features and services than any other cloud provider while consistently reducing prices. So if you'd rather focus on creating a business instead of an infrastructure, check out podcast.aws. Learn how AWS can help you build a better future today and let builders build. Some people still don't get podcasts, why they're special and how to listen. You can help change that with a click. Right now, think of someone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Share it with them online or in person. And if they don't know how to listen, offer to show them how. Tell us what you shared with the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y-P-O-D. Thanks for spreading the word.